0: to introduce myself. I'm Henry Michael. I am the pastor over student ministries, and um, today we are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses uh, 11 or 13 through 511. That's going to be in page uh, 1188, and we're using the NIV. So if you have Bibles right there, in front of you, page 1188, or if you're using a tablet device in the NIV, we have a sermon application guide at the back of these aisles. Don't feel weird if you missed it on the way in, if you want to just stand up and grab one of those. We're talking about experiencing hope in times of loss today. Today is going to be a sermon about loss. But it's also a sermon about hope. In April 2011... Slate, a popular magazine, they they sent out a survey talking about grief and loss, and it hit a nerve because over 10,000 people responded to this survey. And so after analyzing the the statistics, the authors made uh, three observations. The first observation was one of the hardest aspects of mourning is feeling that one's own grief is somehow not normal or has gone unrecognized many respondents wanted to explain how uncomfortable which is a word that came up over and over again how uncomfortable they felt their grief had made others feel the responses seemed to suggest both an expectation from others that grievers should grieve a little and the concurrent desire that the mourner should not grieve too much in pondering why Recognition from others is important in the grieving process. The authors conclude, it's as simple as our human need to feel that we're not alone when grief gets unbearable. The feeling of irreplaceable loss cannot be fixed. It can only be remedied with time. Now this past year has been a year of change for my family and I. We moved from Kentucky And there's been some really great things. We love it up here in Minnesota. Love the weather, love the winter, all that fun stuff. But it was also a year of loss, a year of grieving. Uh, We lost a house that we loved in Kentucky. We left friendships that I had been cultivating for eight years, and my wife, her whole life, family. This past winter, we had a, I mean, not that any of them Are not traumatic, but we had a pretty traumatic um, miscarriage. And that was hard. It was a year of loss for us. Some of you guys have had much harder years, maybe a a, a series of years that have just been hitting you time and time again. And this sermon today is not going to be three positive thoughts to be, hey, here's three awesome ways to get out of the dumps. But hopefully, We see through God's word that we have a perspective and a language that all Christians can experience hope in times of loss. Our faith and the scriptures offer us guidance, deep counsel, and resources for facing loss and for grieving. So that's where we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to jump into it in a minute. But basically what Paul is doing here is he's offering grief counsel to a grieving congregation. Their circumstances are a little bit different than ours, than, than we find ourselves here in 2019, but we learn from him how to not give up hope, and hope is the key. That's what we're talking about today. Hope is the key. It's not a pie-in-the-sky hope. It's not a nebulous hope that's not helpful. Christian hope, our hope is it's tangible, and it's real and it's not a product of just thinking optimistically so the first thing that he says his first counsel to the Thessalonian church is understand our hope to have hope we need to understand our hope and I believe everyone has a deep yearning to know that everything is going to be okay my wife and I she takes wanting to know everything is going to be okay a little too far so we have this unspoken agreement now, to not watch movies together, because after three seconds of every single movie, she's already asked thirty questions. I don't know how she does it, but she does it. She's like, "Who is that? Why did they do that? Like, what's gonna happen? Is is everything gonna be okay?" So I just stopped watching movies with her because it's annoying. I mean, there's no point in watching the movie. I'm like, "Honey, I don't, I don't know either. I haven't seen this." I don't say that. I'd get in trouble if I said that. At the heart of her question, though, is that she has a yearning to know that everything is going to be okay. When we face loss and when we grieve at a much deeper level, we have a need and a yearning to know that everything is going to be okay, too. We, especially when we have a, or experience loss of a loved one, we need to understand what's going to happen. And what Paul shows us here is that our hope is the resurrection. Our hope is the resurrection the resurrection means that everything is actually going to be okay so he's saying a lot in this passage in, in this first Thessalonians passage and just to give you a little bit of a picture of what's going on here Paul went into Thessalonica and he planted this church and he was with them for only four weeks and he goes in there and, the, and things are going really well but when when this church is formed and when these Christians start sharing the gospel and, and being public with their faith there's a a persecution comes down on this church, and Paul and Timothy have to leave. And so they're they're there for four weeks. The church forms, and he sends back Timothy later, and he's worried, like, hey, they're only a four-week-old church. There's no way things are going well with them. And Timothy reports back that things are actually going extremely well. Yeah, they face loss. There's people that, that have died in this church because of persecution, but they are doing well. They're growing in their faith but there's something else that's going on is that they're a little confused and it makes sense. They're confused because they have been Christians for four weeks, they were left alone, and they're worried about their loved ones. What's gonna happen to their loved ones uh, that have died? Are they gonna miss uh, when Jesus comes back? Is it important, is, there, is, there a, is it better to be alive right now than dead, so, so Paul is kind of addressing this, this fear of loss here in, in, in verse 13 and following, and that's where we're gonna start. That this is Our hope is the resurrection. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. He's given them their hope. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that And so, will we, so we will be with the Lord forever. So there's a lot going on here. And so he gives them this hope. He's saying, you know, the, those who have fallen asleep, those who have died before us, they're, they're going to precede us in, in coming to the Lord. And then he gives them this picture of going to the Lord in the clouds and la- loud trumpets. And it's pretty confusing. Paul is describing the indescribable in verses 16 and 17, but it's also our hope. Yeah, with student ministry, one of the main questions whenever I, I say, hey, what do you guys want to study? What do you want to know more about? Almost every single time there's at least one or two people that say, I want to study the book of Revelation. And why not? It's confusing, it's crazy, like it's supposed to tell us like what's going to happen and and maybe when it's going to happen. And so because I don't really I'm not Like, able to fully give the answers they want because it's a very complicated book. I always just say, Well, Jesus wins in the end. Okay, what do you want to study next? But books like Daniel and Revelation and parts of Paul's letters, like this part right here. There's a tension of trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen in order and what it's going to look like. And we've seen books, Left Behind series, lots of different books that try to explain what we need to look for as Christians and how it's going to happen. And I think what's happening is we're missing the point of what is trying to be said here and that what our hope actually is. N.T. Wright explains... Uh, explaining these verses and these confusing topics is like explaining a colors to someone who can't see colors. Like you can explain yellow. It's sharp looking. gives you a sharp feel. A red is a frantic feel. Blue is a soft, comforting feeling and all these things, like they're good descriptions of these colors, but they will not do justice to actually seeing a color, Right? And that's kind of what's happening here. Paul's using a familiar language. When Caesars or kings would conquer or would be the new king or the new Caesar would conquer land, they would come in to their new city. And the people of the city would go out and greet them and, and welcome them into the city. And that's what's happening here. What he's saying here is, is that the hope is, is not... That, that we're just going to go up and live in the clouds and have tiny wings and play harps and wear diapers for all of eternity. What he's trying to say is that Jesus is coming back and he is king over this world. And those who are his people are going to meet him outside of his city. We see that we're not going to just live in clouds, but where he's actually coming to renew all things. He's even going to come and renew our grief, renew our sadness, renew our loss. Jesus is coming back, and it's not going to be confusing. It's going to be loud trumpets. It is going to be obvious when Jesus comes back. We see at the end of chapter 21, the hope of Revelation 21, the hope that is given. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, Or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So here's the bottom line. For followers of Christ, understanding our hope means knowing that everything is going to be okay. It doesn't mean that it's going to take away pain, it's not going to take away suffering. That's all real, and it happens. But everything is going to be okay because we see in scriptures that we have hope in a king, in in King Jesus. We have a future in King Jesus. Death isn't the end because Jesus rose. And because Jesus rose, he promises that followers of Christ will also rise again someday as well. So we must understand our hope in times of loss and grief. But Paul goes on to explain in verse 18 that we also need to share in our hope we need to share in our hope so one of the, the reasons why we need to share in our hope is that shared experiences are are very important and we all know that that's why we do trips with Five Oaks students because you go on a trip this last summer we did two new things we did camp and we went on a mission trip to Louisville and on our way down there On both of those trips, there's a buzz, there's excitement, and maybe a little trepidation, like, you know, let's hope Henry can actually drive, because I was driving a 15-passenger van. Let's hope he knows what he's doing. And after a week of hanging out together, a week of shared experiences, the drive back is a completely different experience. There's laughter, there's showing pictures from the week, there's, like, inside jokes, there's people sitting next to each other that didn't even know each other, really, Before that, shared experiences are important. And those trips, it's it's about fun, it's about learning about Jesus, but it's also about bonding and having that shared experience. That's why Paul says in verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. You guys, as Christians, we all have a shared experience in Jesus Christ. Therefore, encourage one another with that shared experience. Now, if we look back at the survey that we talked about earlier from Slate, one of the biggest fears and insecurities of people who are experiencing loss and grief is that they're bothering people with their grief. That there's an expectation not to grieve too long, that that they feel alone in their grief. That's why Paul reminds us that we are not alone in our grief. We're not alone in our grief, but he warns us in verse 13 not to grieve without hope like people, like pagans. Pagans and non-Christians, they grieve without hope because they don't know what's happening. But we do, as Christians, know what's going to happen. We have a hope. So how do we share in a helpful way in that hope in, in, while experiencing times of loss? So we need to look at how culture responds to loss and grieving. Because the slate survey points to some troubling issues that we see. Now, a lot of us, maybe some of us in our churches um, growing up, you've experienced this as, as, as when they read verse 12, when they say, don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, they, they start putting bumper sticker theology statements around your grieving, like, oh, they're in a better place. Oh, they're, it's better this way. Death is normal, blah, blah, blah. And they tell you all these things, and, they, and it's really just trying to sweep your grieving under the rug. It's not taking you as a person who is experiencing loss and grief and not giving you the, the, the love and care that you need. Is it true they're in a better place? Hopefully it's true, and depending on the person. Those are all good things, but re- what, what this is saying here is is not necessarily, hey, let's just shove grieving under the rug. It's talking about loving people well. Non-Christians, if you look throughout our culture, we see uh, through films and literature a very dark view of death, something to be scared of, something to look at as a mystery, something that is uncertain, surrounded by a lot of fear. You see also... Uh, inventions of different realities uh, maybe uh, reincarnation different things that we try to use to give hope that's the thing that, that uh, non-Christians in our society use The Lion King talks about the circle of life and I've watched that about 500 times this week with my daughter and it's really interesting because I think a lot of that because it's—I it, mean, it's popular again now and it was a very popular movie back in the 90's but the circle of life, what it's doing is saying death is normal and it's good because, you know, we eat the antelope, then we die and we turn into dust and then we become, you know, the plants and the antelope eats us. That's good. That's, that's normal. We should not fear death. And none of these are helpful and none of these lead to hope. Because if we look in the scriptures, we see a very different view of death and we see a very different view of mourning. We see uh, through Paul's letters, we see throughout scriptures that death is met with a long period of mourning. People in the Old Testament would tear their clothes. They'd wear uh, sackcloth. They would shave their heads. They'd pour ashes on their heads. They'd shave their beards. Think about doing that nowadays, how to put people out now. That would, that would be a whole different thing for a survey. If we look at Jesus, how did Jesus view death? We, a lot of times, look at pictures of Jesus and and we think that, oh man, Jesus is kind of a detached person. He hung out with lambs. He hung out with children. But if you see and you look at scriptures, we know that if Jesus is God, if Jesus has been around for all of eternity, he also saw the Garden of Eden. He saw what it looked like for humans and God to have a perfect relationship together. He saw that there wasn't supposed to be pain and death and suffering. When he entered our world, as Tim Keller explains, Jesus doesn't view death as natural. He sees it as an intruder in this world. If you think about it, if if you're God, and you're walking around, and your friend Lazarus dies, I would think, man, Jesus knows what's going to happen in the end. Like, he knows that this resurrection thing's going to happen. He knows that he's going to win. But what does he do? He weeps. He weeps over the death of his friend because he sees death as an intruder. Why would Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane beg God not to, to change the plan? To not go through this, it's not just because he was going to die, but what death represented. Death represented for him taking all of our sins upon his shoulders and being separated from God for the first time in all of history. Death was something that was an intruder. Jesus didn't see death as natural, but here's the hope that we share that that death that Jesus did not want to have to experience but did it for us, it couldn't hold him down. And that's why we all share this hope, that only through his resurrection can we have hope in death. Paul later writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that death no longer has victory over us. Death no longer has sting. Because the person who conquered death promised that those who are his followers, those who have put their faith in him, will also conquer death as well. That's why we have hope in his coming. And so he says, encourage each other with these words. So what are we supposed to encourage each other with? Let's get down to the specifics. The answer is in verse 14. Paul explains that our hope is focuses around the belief that Jesus died and rose again, and I believe that he's telling them to remind each other of that over and over again. He's telling them, train yourself up in the gospel, and he's telling them to do that, to remind them not to just say, hey, that Jesus' death and resurrection is that one-time thing that happens when you're saved, but to remind yourself of that over and over and over again is because we forget that's why we come to church it's a group of imperfect people gathering around a perfect savior encouraging each other each week with the words of the gospel and so how do we practically encourage each other with the hope of the resurrection we come to church with a purpose We come to church and take a breath from a world that has normalized death, that has normalized an intruder, and we take a breath and we get built up to go back out in mission. That's why we take church seriously. That's why we worship. If you pay attention to our services, we go through a liturgy. And that liturgy is pointing us to the gospel. There is a time of assurance, a confession, response, all these things are leading to the gospel. Tom doesn't, and and his team, they don't come up here and sing only songs that give him chills or that are easy to play. He picks songs that point us to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We hear from God's word every single week. It's not just so that we can hear ourselves talk. It's to be pointed to the death and resurrection of Jesus and how that encourages us to go out and have hope in a world that is dark. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every single week because we're reminding ourselves that we are made right with God not by what we do but because of Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us we join in the life of our church, we serve because we can love others because Christ has given us gifts to serve the church and to build it up not to just get volunteer hours Each week we join in small groups to discuss God's word and again have another reminder of his death and resurrection and to encourage us in this world. For Christians, understanding our hope means sharing in our hope. That's not something that we just do. So Paul continues in chapter 5 that we also have to live in our hope. So, in chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who are asleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And verses 8 through 11 here are where we're really going to focus in here. But since we belong... so Paul, he seems to be talking about in, in, in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, what do we do with our grief? And it almost seems in, in the first part of chapter 5 that he's switching up his tone and kind of saying, okay, now let's talk about judgment, let's talk about right living in a, in a dark world. And he does that, and, and we're going kind of, to be talking more about the judgment aspect next week. But he goes back in verses 8 through 11 and gets back to to the point of of what it means to mourn well, to grieve well, to encourage each other well, and how to live in our hope. And if we understand our hope, we share in our hope, and that leads Christians and followers of Christ to live in hope. Now, to kind of illustrate this, one of the uh, harder parts of coming back to a church that you grew up in is that people know... Or if, if you're around or if you've heard stories I was kind of a squirrely middle schooler I wasn't uh, I'd used, I used to get kicked out every single week of youth group I was, uh, I was, I was rude and immature um, so they're, they're not years to brag about so they're good sermon illustrations and anytime literally anytime if you hear uh, a sermon illustration from Pastor Henry about their kid that taught him how to love Jesus more and to have patience it's always about me it's not about my brother. Um, and one of those stories, I get to use my own story, is uh, we had a sleepover at one of my friends' house. One of my friends in the youth group, they were sitting right here uh, last night. And, you know, middle schoolers really shouldn't have sleep. This It's not the point. Middle schoolers really shouldn't have sleepovers. But that's, that's, uh, that's b- beside the point. We were up really late and we were bored because what else are we going to do? And we were like, um, we're like, well, what should we do? Well, we got our friend's house. Let's go teepee his house or something. So we go upstairs, and we look for toilet paper. There's no toilet, There's not enough toilet paper. It wouldn't be a very good teepee job. Um, so we're like, oh, well, let's, let's go find some food in the kitchen and just throw it at his house. So, okay, that's a good idea. Um, brain's not formed. Um, and so we find Go-Gurts. Do you, guys, if you remember Go-Gurts? It's like a sleeve of yogurt. Um... We found honey. We found tuna. Uh, I think we even found hairspray. Um, so we, we sneak over there and we're like whipping Gogurt on, on his garage. And this isn't malicious. This is just a middle schooler's mind of like solution for boredom. And we're whi- and, I, and like we put, <laughs> we put hairspray on their door. And we're like their hands are gonna get stuck and like tuna out. And it was it was really dumb. But we, we, we sneak back and. And uh, we think that, you know, we're, we're smooth, we didn't get caught. Well, the thing I didn't say was that there, were three fe- there was three feet of snow on the ground. And so there are tracks leading from the basement window all the way to his house and then all the way back. We literally didn't make it 24 hours without getting caught. The other thing, it was freezing, so cleaning off. Yogurt stuck to a garage in 20-degree weather was not fun either. And our hijinks of the hairspray definitely didn't work. We thought that we were covered by the night, but when day came, everything was laid bare. And although that's a silly example, it points us something that's true points to something that's true for all of us. Is that we live in a world of darkness until Christ returns. But that doesn't mean we have to live as if darkness is our ultimate reality. Look at the beginning of verse 8. He says, but since we belong to the day. The world is darkness but we belong to the day. So what do we need to do? We need to put we need to do an action. We need to put on faith and love as a breastplate. We need to put hope of salvation as a helmet. Now, it doesn't matter what like that exactly means, but it's pointing to a specific action. It's protection against the hopelessness and the disillusionment that comes with grief and loss. The hope that we have means that we are living in the day, not in the darkness. And so we put this on. We have faith. We have faith that his death and resurrection will save us. We have hope that his death and resurrection will lead to salvation, that we will live life with God for eternity. That those in Christ will not experience wrath. We love each other and we encourage each other and we build each other up because we forget. It's a constant action of pushing against the darkness and being children of the day. Now there's three major groups that are possibly listening to this today. Three major groups. The first one are those who don't follow Jesus or maybe you have been so over-churched in your life that you've forgotten what your hope is. And I want to say, there, hope is not getting your church in for the week. Hope is not trying to balance the good things you do and the bad things you do. Trying to hope that maybe your good things are going to outweigh the bad. Hope is not even serving and giving money to good causes. These things are all good things. But you have to know and you have to be reminded that our hope only comes through Jesus and his work, not ours. He's the one who lived The life we should have lived. He lived a perfect life. He walked around in our world, experiencing mourning, suffering, hunger, thirstiness, being thirsty, thirstiness, being thirsty. He was rejected by the people he created, and he ultimately died for us, taking all of our sins so that the wrath that our sins deserved were put on Jesus. We didn't deserve it. And then when he rose again, he conquered death so that we can have life with him. He has made a way for us to be right with God, and it is all on the work of Jesus, not on us. Last week, we celebrated baptism. And it was awesome. We got to see kids get baptized. We got to see adults get baptized, and they were all putting uh, a public display of that Jesus has changed them. That they were put down in the water as death and rose come out as new lives. That's the hope that I want you to have if you have forgotten or if you are not a Christ follower. If you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, I urge you to pursue that hope. It's the only thing that can actually bring the other person in here might be the Christian who hasn't experienced anything deep or any deep pain or loss, significant loss. For me, that was, that was me recently. And, and even then, like, I haven't experienced nearly as much as many of you have. And it's not, I know it's not a competition. No one wants to win that competition. Um, but I was one of those uh, uh, Christians who hadn't experienced pain. But if you're a thinking Christian, if you're a thinking person, you know that if we live in this world, we will at some point experience deep loss and pain. It's coming. So how do we prepare for that? Again, we train ourselves up in the gospel. I had an opportunity this week to train myself up in the gospel. My grandma is on her deathbed. And as I'm sitting there, I'm looking at her withered body. And as I'm looking, at, I, I have this message fresh in my head, and I'm like, man, I should have all the answers because I'm actually studying this and learning what this is. And it was weird. I'm not used to it yet. But I always want death to be weird, I always want death to be viewed as an intruder, and I had to remind myself that the hope, not just for me, but for her, is that she will one day have a resurrected body. That things are going to be new and good, and that she's going to live life with Jesus because she follows Christ. Stuff's gonna come up randomly. She took a turn for the worse, but I was train myself up in the gospel so when things happen, when they hit you, it doesn't take you totally by surprise. The last person is the Christian who is experiencing deep pain right now. Whether it's relational loss or physical loss, you need to know you're not alone. You're not weird for grieving, you're not expected to have a specific time where you mourn and when it, you need to be done mourning. You're not expected to just move on at us after a certain point. I hope that myself and our church can can be a place where you are encouraged in hope in a helpful way. But I also want to encourage you to either start or continue it to continue cultivating a life of hope, even in the midst of deep loss. People with hope are stronger. Hurt and emptiness and hopelessness are going to come but we come back to our hope with the help of others a person with hope knows that their pain will not be wasted Jesus wants you to be used to help others who are feeling hopeless and alone understanding sharing And living in our hope can only happen through Jesus. Knowing that we share this hope, encourage one another daily. Let's pray.